long history. Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. Part 2. Answering Malicious Slander. Hello everyone, how's it going? And welcome to the second part of this document. For anyone new to long history, here we like to take source documents and split them up into chunks of about 10 minutes. We know there's a lot of excellent brief histories out there, we just wanted to create a place for those people who want the full depth about important or just curious details in history. So if that's what you're looking for, you've found your place. Now we're only on episode 2 of this document, so episode 1 will just be a few clicks away if you want to start there. And there are 18 parts of this latest document, so if you want to be informed of when the rest are released, don't forget to subscribe. Now, as I said in the previous episode, this is a somewhat eccentric document. We don't quite know what is the truth and what is fantasy here. It covers Sir Walter Raleigh's expedition to the area around today's Venezuela. It's an expedition into the interior of northern South America. And it's also an attempt by Sir Walter Raleigh on behalf of the English to repeat the Spanish Empire's achievements. That's achievements in the European terms of the day, of course. It is rumoured, for example, that the legendary El Dorado is just waiting to be discovered in this area. Now, in the previous part, we gave a brief biography of um, Sir Walter Raleigh and the first part of the introduction. This is the second part of that introduction. One of the longest introductions we've ever had on these documents by long history. And anyone who's listened to a few of these documents by now will know that these introductions often go on a bit. They're quite florid. But this is long history, not short history, so we give you the full detail. Although I am slightly tempted to say here that if you want to get on with the journey itself, perhaps you would like to skip to the next episode. Having said that, this is actually one of the strangest episodes I've ever recorded. Because in the past we've covered documents about events of world importance. So there's no need by the authors of these texts to um, over-exaggerate the importance of the events taking place. Here, however, in this second part of the introduction, Raleigh makes a curious case for the defence of his text. And in doing so, he somehow overstates his case, making us wonder whether all the success of this expedition, as he states in this text, is actually quite so true. Raleigh has clearly been accused of lying, or at least exaggerating, when he says that there are vast riches in Guyana. He makes his excuses in this section. Raleigh also mentions Atabalipa, the former indigenous leader of Peru who was killed by the Spanish, leading to the conquering of the Incas and the Peru area which in turn led to vast riches for the Spanish. Raleigh clearly wants to do the same in this Guyana area, which is in fact um, today's Venezuela. So let's get on with this strange second part of the introduction, where we'll get to hear a bit more of Raleigh's voice and get a sense of who he is. This is Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 2, Answering Malicious Slander. Introduction to the Reader because there have been diverse opinions conceived of the gold ore brought from Guyana, and, for that an alderman of London, and an officer of Her Majesty's Mint, hath given out that the same is of no price, I have thought good, by the addition of these lines, to give answer as well to the said malicious slander as to other objections. It is true that while we abode at the island of Trinidad, I was informed by an Indian that not far from the port where we anchored, there were found certain mineral stones which they esteemed to be gold, and were thereunto persuaded the rather, for that they had seen both English and Frenchmen gather and embark some quantities thereof. Upon this likelihood I sent forty men, and gave order that each one should bring a stone of that mine, to make trial of the goodness, which, being performed, I assured them at their return that the same was marcasite, and of no riches or value, 
Uh, notwithstanding diverse, trusting more to their own sense than to my opinion, kept of the said Marcusite, and have tried thereof since my return in diverse places. In Guyana itself I never saw Marcusite, but all the rocks, mountains, all stones in the plains, woods, and by the river's sides are, in effect, thorough shining, and appear marvellous rich, which, being tried to be no Marcusite, are the true signs of rich minerals, but are no other than el madre de oro, as the Spanish term them, which is the mother of gold, or, as is said by others, the scum of gold. Of diverse sorts of these, many of my company brought also into England, everyone taking the fairest for the best, which is not general. For mine own part, I did not countermand any man's desire or opinion and I could have afforded them little if I should have denied them the pleasing of their own fancies therein. But I was resolved that gold must be found either in grains separate from the stone, as it is in most of the rivers in Guyana, or else in a kind of hard stone, which we call the white spar, of which I saw diverse hills and in sundry places, but had neither time nor men nor instruments fit for labour. Near unto one of the rivers, I found of the said white spar or flint a very great ledge or bank, which I endeavoured to break by all the means I could, because there appeared on the outside some small grains of gold. Ugh, but finding no mean to work the same upon the upper part, seeking the sides and circuit of the said rock, I found a clift in the same, from whence with daggers and with the head of an axe we got out some small quantity thereof, of which kind of white stone wherein gold is engendered, we saw diverse hills and rocks in every part of Guyana wherein we travelled. Of this there have been made many trials, and in London it was first assayed by Master Westwood, a refiner dwelling in Wood Street, and it held after the rate of twelve or thirteen thousand pounds a ton. Another sort was afterward tried by Master Bulmar and Master Dimmock, assay master and it held after the rate of three and twenty thousand pounds a ton. There was some of it again tried by Master Palmer, Comptroller of the Mint, and Master Dimmock in Goldsmith's Hall, and it held after six and twenty thousand and nine hundred pounds a ton. There was also at the same time, and by the same persons, a trial made of the dust of the said mine, which held eight pounds and six ounces weight of gold in the hundred. There was likewise at the same time a trial of an image of copper made in Guyana, which held a third part of gold, besides diverse trials made in the country, and by others in London. But, because there came ill with the good, and belike the said alderman was not presented with the best, it hath pleased him therefore to scandal all the rest, and to deface the enterprise as much as in him lieth. It hath also been concluded by diverse, that if there had been any such ore in Guyana, and the same discovered, that I would have brought home a greater quantity thereof. First, I was not bound to satisfy any man of the quantity, but only such as had ventured, if any store had been returned thereof. But it is very true that had all their mountains been of massy gold, it was impossible for us to have made any longer stay to have wrought the same and whosoever hath seen with what strength of stone the best gold ore is environed, he will not think it easy to be had out in heaps, and especially by us, who had neither men, instruments, nor time, as it is said before, to perform the same. 
there were on this discovery no less than an hundred persons, who can all witness that when we passed any branch of the river to view the land within, and stayed from our boats but six hours, we were driven to wade to the eyes at our return. And if we attempted the same the day following, it was impossible either to ford it or to swim it, both by reason of the swiftness, and also for that the borders were so pestered with fast woods, as neither boat nor man could find place either to land or to embark. For in June, July, August and September it is impossible to navigate any of those rivers. For such is the fury of the current. And there are so many trees and woods overflown, as if any boat but touch upon any tree or stake it is impossible to save any one person therein. And ere we departed the land, it ran with such swiftness as we drave down, most commonly against the wind, little less than an hundred miles a day. Besides, our vessels were no other than wherries, one little barge, a small cockboat, and a bad galeotta, which we framed in haste for that purpose at Trinidad, and those little boats had nine or ten men apiece, with all their victuals and arms. It is further true that we were about four hundred miles from our ships, and had been a month from them, which also we left weakly manned in an open road, and had promised our return in fifteen days. Others have devised that the same ore was had from Barbary, and that we carried it with us into Guyana. Surely the singularity of that device I do not well comprehend. For mine own part, I am not so much in love with these long voyages as to devise thereby to cozen myself, to lie hard, to fare worse, to be subjected to perils, to diseases, to ill-savers, to be parched and withered, and withal to sustain the care and labour of such an enterprise? except the same had more comfort than the fetching of marcasite in Guyana, or buying of gold ore in Barbary. But I hope the better sort will judge me by themselves, and that the way of deceit is not the way of honour or good opinion. I have herein consumed much time, and many crowns, and I have no other respect or desire than to serve Her Majesty and my country thereby. If the Spanish nation had been of like belief to these detractors, we should have little feared or doubted their attempts, wherewith we are now daily threatened. But if we now consider of the actions both of Charles V, who had the maidenhead of Peru and the abundant treasures of Atabalipa, together with the affairs of the Spanish king now living, what territories he hath purchased, what he hath added to the acts of his predecessors, how many kingdoms he hath endangered, how many armies, garrisons, and navies he hath, and doth maintain, the great losses which he hath repaired, as in eighty-eight above an hundred sail of great ships with their artillery, and that no year is less infortunate, but that many vessels, treasures, and people are devoured, and yet, notwithstanding, he beginneth again like a storm to threaten shipwreck to us all. We shall find that these abilities rise not from the trades of Saxon and Seville oranges, nor from aught else that either Spain, Portugal, or any of his other provinces produce. It is Indian gold that endangereth and disturbeth all the nations of Europe. It purchaseth intelligence, creepeth into councils, and setteth bound loyalty at liberty in the greatest monarchies of Europe. If the Spanish king can keep us from foreign enterprises, and from the impeachment of his trades, either by offer of invasion, or by besieging us in Britain, Ireland, or elsewhere, 
he hath then brought the work of our great peril in great forwardness. Those princes that abound in treasure have great advantages over the rest. If they once constrain them to a defensive war, where they are driven once a year or oftener to cast lots for their own garments, and from all such shall all trades and intercourse be taken away, to the general loss and impoverishment of the kingdom and commonwealth so reduced. Besides, when our men are constrained to fight, it hath not the like hope as when they are pressed and encouraged by the desire of spoil and riches. Farther, it is to be doubted how those that in time of victory seem to affect their neighbour nations will remain after the first view of misfortunes or ill success. To trust also to the doubtfulness of a battle is but a fearful and uncertain adventure, seeing therein fortune is as likely to prevail as virtue. It shall not be necessary to allege all that might be said, and therefore I will thus conclude, that whatsoever kingdom shall be enforced to defend itself may be compared to a body dangerously diseased, which for a season may be preserved with vulgar medicines, but in a short time, and little by little, the same must needs fall to the ground and be dissolved. I have therefore laboured all my life, both according to my small power and persuasion, to advance all those attempts that might either promise return of profit to ourselves, or at least be a let and impeachment to the quiet course and plentiful trades of the Spanish nation, who, in my weak judgment, by such a war were as easily endangered and brought from his powerfulness as any prince in Europe, if it be considered from how many kingdoms and nations his revenues are gathered, and those so weak in their own beings and so far severed from mutual succour. But, because such a preparation and resolution is not to be hoped for in haste, and at the time which our enemies embrace cannot be had again to advantage, I will hope that these provinces, and that empire now by me discovered, shall suffice to enable Her Majesty and the whole kingdom with no less quantities of treasure than the King of Spain hath in all the Indies, east and west, which he possesseth which, if the same be considered and followed, ere the Spaniards enforce the same, and, if Her Majesty will undertake it, I will be contented to lose Her Majesty's favour and good opinion for ever, and my life withal, if the same be not found rather to exceed than to equal whatsoever is in this discourse promised and declared. I will now refer the reader to the following discourse with the hope that the perilous and chargeable labours and endeavours of such as thereby seek the profit and honour of Her Majesty and the English nation, shall by men of quality and virtue receive such construction and good acceptance as themselves would like to be rewarded with all in the like. So we have it all in this section. We've got Raleigh's defence against some accusations because some of the minerals that have been brought back from South America have proved not to be gold. At every turn, Raleigh has a reason and an excuse. It seems that people have even accused him of not going on the journey at all, of buying the gold from Africa and pretending that that is the gold that he has discovered in Guyana. Raleigh openly despairs at these accusations, stating, I am not so much in love with these long voyages as to devise thereby to cozen myself to lie hard, to fare worse. And the quote continues. Raleigh then goes on to play perhaps his most significant card, the threat of the Spanish. And from the point of view of nowadays, perhaps it's easy to dismiss those threats, but we can see here just how much of a threat the Spanish were seen at the time, particularly when he says, 
It is in Indian gold that endangereth and disturbeth all the nations of Europe. It purchaseth intelligence, creepeth into councils, and setteth bound loyalty at liberty in the greatest monarchies of Europe. So it seems that at that moment Spanish power and money is upending all the power structures in Europe. And Raleigh, according to his own arguments anyway, is offering some sort of solution to that. So it's an interesting and strange introduction to the text that's about to come. Nevertheless, that expedition begins in the next episode, when Sir Walter Raleigh crosses over the Atlantic and reaches Trinidad Island. So thank you for listening everyone. Please, before you go, don't forget to like, subscribe and share this episode. It's particularly important towards the beginning of the document when we're trying to get the word out. But above all, thank you for listening and goodbye.